Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We have been in the month of December looking at the very first Christmas carol that was ever performed. Not in a church and not in a carol service. It was performed by angels in a hillside. In the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, the Gospel writer Luke records for us the carol that the angels sang to lowly shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That when Jesus arrived on planet Earth, it was announced in the heavens by angels that this is good news. But which is important for us, right? Because Jesus came as good news, not as good advice. Advice speaks to something that you and I have to do. But of course, news is something that's already been done. The truth is, when it comes to Christmas and understanding the Christian faith, it's important to understand that Jesus came as good news, not simply as good advice. That Jesus is good news, not just to the shepherds out in a field, but Jesus is good news for you and I today. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. I know you do as well. We celebrate with food with gifts, with lights, with family, with friends, with carols, and we should celebrate Christmas. And the church ought to be a celebration because heaven itself described Jesus' birth as good news that would bring great joy to all people. And so we've been looking at this good news, that Jesus is good news for anyone who's ever felt distressed. Christmas reminds us of that because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That Jesus is good news for anyone who's ever felt in the dark or distant because he's the light of the world. That Jesus is good news to those of us who've ever experienced disappointment because he's God's promise fulfilled. And in the next few minutes this morning, I want to encourage us that Jesus is good news for those of us who've ever felt disqualified. Like we're the kind of people that surely God couldn't care for and couldn't love because Jesus is the saviour of sinners. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, But the angels said to them that the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. What an encouragement that is, that God sent his son as a savior. Consider for a minute how this could have played out. Perhaps you've never considered this, but but sending a savior was actually not God's only option. After all, a, a perfect and holy God looking down from heaven upon an imperfect and fallen humanity could have responded in at least three ways. If God wanted to criticize the world for all of its faults, then he could have sent a critic. If God wanted to simply teach the world some moral principles, then he would have sent a teacher. If God wanted to condemn the world for all of its wrongdoing, then he would have sent a condemner. But God wanted to save the world, and so he sent a savior. John chapter 3 and verse 16 is perhaps the most well-known Bible verse around, right? That for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. The very next verse that follows, verse 17, goes like this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. No wonder Christmas ought to elicit such 
reasons for celebration. Of all the ways in which God could have responded to our faults and frailties, to our failings, to our imperfection, God chose to respond with grace. Not to send a critic or or, or just a teacher. No, no, no. God wanted to save us, so he sent to us a savior. When Mary first broke the news to Joseph in the Christmas story, the news that she's pregnant and and Joseph is a little rightly skeptical because he knows I've I've exercised self-control and now you're pregnant and you're trying to tell me that God did it. An angel is sent to be able to reassure Joseph because, of course, Joseph is trying to work this whole thing out. And so God in his kindness sends an angel to speak with Joseph and the angel shares something with Joseph that's news that only he gets to hear. It reveals something about the baby to be born, that it's an encouragement to Joseph but also to us. In the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, this is what the Scripture says in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That name, Jesus, literally means the Lord saves. So why does all of that matter? It's fair to say that every single person on the planet has at some point wondered, if there really is a God, how does he feel about me? If there really is a God, how does he feel about me considering my mistakes and my sins and my failings? None of us are perfect. The Bible makes that very clear. Not a single one of us in this room today could claim to be perfect. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say I've kept my heart pure? I'm clean and without sin. But the truth is all of us have made mistakes. All of us have gotten things wrong. All of us have got things that that have happened in our lives that we hope other people don't find out about because because they're a part of our faults and frailties. Intuitively, we all know that we don't even live up to our own standards. That's why every January 1, we make New Year's resolutions. Because we want to be able to lift even our own standards. And so we intuitively know that that I don't even live up to my own standards, let alone the perfect standards of, of a perfect God. And so naturally, we're uncertain of how God might react towards us. And typically, we kind of fear the worst. Maybe you've heard somebody say this, you know, if I was to go to church, the roof would cave in. That's the reason why we exposed the beam so people could see how much reinforcing there is in this building. (laughs) That part's not true, right? But maybe you've heard somebody say something like that. You know, if I was to go to church, you know, the roof would cave in, which is really a simple admission that we're pretty sure that given the opportunity, God would punish us. Because we know that we're not perfect. You could say it this way, that we all feel like we don't really qualify for God's love and acceptance. And that's why the angels pray for all people. Because Christmas is that good news. That for the disqualified, God sent his son, not as a critic and not as a teacher and not as a condemner, but God sent his son as a saviour. And so I want you to consider this morning five ways in which the birth of Jesus is good news. Here's the first one. It's good news when you consider who came. Five reasons in which Jesus' birth is good news. The first one is it's good news when you consider who came. Seeing our need for help, God could have chosen to outsource the solution. I mean, he's God. 
He's got everything at his disposal, and so he could have sent an angel, right? He could have sent a proxy in some way. He could have simply bellowed commands from the back fence of heaven. And yet God didn't do any of those things. God made this incredibly personal by sending his own son. How amazing that God would take it personal in order to be able to redeem us, not to send a proxy, not to send somebody else in his place, but to actually take the matter into his own hands. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Truth is, if God had outsourced the job to an angel or or to a proxy, then there would be room for us to question our own value. But when I think about the fact that God made forgiveness and redemption his personal responsibility, it ought to fill our hearts with assurance that God took on flesh and came to earth in the person of Jesus. God squeezed into skin so that there'd be no room for misunderstanding. No room for misinterpretation, but that God's heart towards us is such that he would actually take matters into his own hands, not to send somebody else in his place. No, he was taking personal responsibility for us. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, wrote that the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. If you're here this morning and you've ever actually doubted your worth to God, whether God really cares about you, whether God really is very interested in you, whether God is inclined in kindness towards you. If you've ever doubted your worth to God, then you need to look to the manger and to see that God himself came to redeem you. That's how much you mean. Here's the second way. It's good news when you consider how Jesus came. History tells fables of God's coming to men to dominate and to terrorize them. There's lots of mythology and fables that sort of follow that storyline. But consider how Jesus came. As a newborn baby, in swaddling clothes, held in his mother's arms. But when God came to us, he didn't come in terror, but in tenderness. He didn't come in might. He came in meekness. Have you ever watched how fully grown adults interact with babies? Right, this is about to happen for us again because Elise is pregnant with twins. And so in the next couple of weeks, probably after you know services in the new year, we'll all get to see the two little twin girls, right? And it's always amazing to me that when you see people with little, little kids, that even the most educated, uh, most uh, stiff-lipped, the, the, the most put-together person, when they see a little baby, they sort of become this other person. And they start ooing and ahhing and making funny sounds and sounding unintelligible, right? And everybody kind of does that. The minute they sort of see a baby, we sort of naturally get down low and we begin to interact. And all of our intelligence and all of our status is kind of meaningless when we approach a child. Nobody screams in terror when they see a baby. <gasps> get back. We draw near. We come close. Educated, intelligent, grown adults let down their guard and they make all kinds of weird sounds and facial expressions because there's no sense of intimidation with a child. In fact, no being on earth is more approachable than a newborn infant. 
Think about how God came. That God could have come in many different ways, but he chose to come as a baby. Why would God reduce himself like that? Perhaps part of the reason is because it's impossible for you and I to fully wrap our mind around how big God is, and yet it is possible to hold a child in your arms. Think about that, that Mary and Joseph are holding God in their arms, that it'd be impossible for them to fully understand the extent of God's magnitude and power, and yet God reduced himself squeezed into skin so that he would be approachable for you and I. How how gracious is God that he would come in the form of a child so that we might grasp the God who's infinite. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. We could never get our heads around God, not fully. And so God condescended to come as a child that we might understand and draw near to him by faith. Consider this. This is point three for this morning. It's good news when you consider where he came. There are many of us this Christmas, right, we'll, we'll be hosting guests in our home. We'll have friends and family who, who've traveled to, to come and spend time with us because we live on the Sunshine Coast. Notice that when you live in other parts of the country, people don't come, but when you live on the Sunshine Coast, everybody comes, right? Okay. So we'll be hosting guests in our home, friends and family who've traveled to stay with us. And at a minimum, right, we'll, we'll prepare a guest room. Right, and we'll we'll put out a little towel on the bed, and we'll put like make sure there's a nightlight and stuff like that there, and we'll put out the soaps and shampoos that we stole from hotels earlier on in the year on those pillows so that people feel welcome. Maybe even a Ferrero Rocher if we can get it past the kids and into the room before they've seen it. Um, and that's kind of basic hospitality. We kind of all do those things because we want to show our friends. And yet, when God Himself came to Earth, there was no room prepared. Out in a hillside stable, Joseph and Mary went for shelter. And when the final scrolls of history perhaps are completed, perhaps the most interesting line will be that there was no room in the inn. You've got to remember that when Jesus came, this isn't like God just came up on spirit of the moment, hey, I think we should do this. There was prophets hundreds of years earlier prophesying the fact that Jesus would come. So, So my question is, which angel forgot to book the hotel? Right? Like if, if this is planned from long ago and everybody knows about it, like whose responsibility was it? Like who is getting scolded at Christmas time by, by one of the archangels like you were supposed to book the hotel, you had one job, one job, and you didn't book it. The, the truth is Jesus was always supposed to be born in the manger. Because if Jesus had been born in a five-star hotel, then it would have been, made sense that Jesus kind of came for five-star people. But Jesus had to be born at the lowest point, almost with no place to rest his head, in order that he might identify with you and I, even at our lowest points as well. That every detail of the Christmas story matters. Every part of that story preaches because it's there by intention. That it was in a stable, the filthiest place in the world that purity was born. That it was in a cave that the Lord Most High was born under the floor of the earth. That Jesus, at the end of his life, would be slaughtered by men acting like beasts. But he started that journey born among the beasts. That he was surrounded by an ox and a cow at his birth, and he was flanked by criminals at his death. Every part of this, the design of God, so that you and I would know that no matter how filthy our hearts may feel, 
that no matter how low we, we might have stooped, that no matter where we've been or what we've done, we have a God who is not ashamed to come near us. He entered our story at the very lowest point. But when Jesus' enemies tried to accuse him of wrongdoing, the only real charge they could bring against him was that he was a friend of sinners. If God would choose to dwell there, in the filth and the stench of a Bethlehem stable, I'm sure he's willing to come and live in the middle of our lives, no matter how smelly or broken at times they might seem. And that is very good news. Here's the fourth one. It's good news when you consider why he came. For other historical figures, death was a stumbling block, right? It was an interruption to an otherwise effective life. But for Jesus, death was not an unforeseen tragedy. Death was the very purpose of his life. That Every other man who came into this world came into the world to live, but Jesus rightly came into the world to die. Have you ever considered the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus? That even in the gifts they bring, that they're prophesying to who Jesus is. They bring gold because, of course, Jesus is a king, not just any king. He's the king of all kings. And who at Christmas time doesn't like a little bit of bling? So they bring him gold. But they also bring him frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh were used by the Greeks, the Romans, and the Israelites in burial rituals to embalm dead bodies which makes it a kind of interesting gift to give to a child, right? It's kind of like, hey, you've got a newborn. We've purchased for you a tombstone. That's awkward. That's awkward at any time. It's especially awkward at Christmas. But the cross was there right from the beginning. That Jesus had come into human history because there was a purpose for him to come. That even the cross is casting a shadow over the cradle that we can't even begin to understand the purpose of Jesus' life except to understand it in the context of his death. That, that without Good Friday's cross, then Bethlehem's manger makes absolutely no sense. Because you've got to understand that this is not about a baby being born. This is about God coming into human history. This is about God coming to redeem all mankind. It's the cross that makes sense of the cradle for Jesus. And so Jesus came to be the Lamb of God, the, the substitute for sinners, taking him upon himself the penalty for our wrongdoing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Think about that for a minute. The righteous, for people like you and I who are unrighteous, the godly substituting himself for you and I, the, the ungodly, that God in all of his perfection, trading himself to be the substitute for us who are imperfect. That all of our failings and shortcomings and falls and offenses and trespasses and transgressions and debts and sins and faults and shame and guilt are all put upon Jesus. That all of his righteousness and purity might be put upon us. When you consider what he came to do, it's little wonder why we sing at Christmas time. And this really is good news. This really does bring joy. This isn't about advice. This is about God doing something for us that we could never do for ourselves. And so from the very first day, the entire purposes of Jesus' life was for the sake of others. I want you to hear this this morning. Other religions 
are about man offering his best to God. But the Bible shows us God offering his best for us. Other religions are about us doing a long list of things in order to be accepted by God. But the Christian faith is actually about God coming and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's what makes the Christmas story good news that ought to bring great joy for all people. Here's the fifth and final one. It's good news when you consider who he came for. John Newton, who's the author of the famed hymn, Amazing Grace, was himself a former slave trader. He used to trade people. And then once stuck in a, in a big storm where he thought his life would be ended, he cried out to God and said, God, if you're real, if you'll save me from the storm, I promise I'll give my life to you. I'll serve you. Well, God did save him in the midst of that storm. He became a Christian. He became a minister and many years later wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Those words, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Modern translations of that song have sort of changed the word wretch because it's kind of politically incorrect to call somebody wretched. It's now saved a soul like me. But Newton put wretch in the song on purpose because he knew I had been a wretched person. I bought and sold people in the slave trade. I'd been a wretched person and yet God saved me. He spent the rest of his life as a minister lobbying for the abolition of slavery. At age 82, on his deathbed, Newton is recorded as having whispered to a friend, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. He came as a great saviour, but only for those who are honest enough to recognise themselves as great sinners. But we mentioned earlier that Jesus was born in a cave and on purpose because all who wished to come and see him had to stoop to get in. That, that stooping, that, that coming down low, that, that admission that, that I actually need God and I haven't worked this whole life out is actually the prerequisite to faith. That humility is the, is the open door. That the proud refuse to stoop and therefore they miss the gift of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, who, who's this God, guy that God used in quite an incredible way, writes to this young pastor Timothy and he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is a guy who's establishing churches, going on ministry journeys, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, and yet Paul understands, you've got to understand that, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's not all of you, that, that's me, Paul says. I'm the worst of all of them. That the prerequisite to actually receiving the grace of God is to admit that I actually need the grace of God. And suddenly Christmas is not just good news in general, right? Christmas becomes good news for me that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour, that he loved me and gave himself for me. And so I want you to hear this this morning. If you've ever felt disqualified, if you've ever felt like you're not good enough for God, then Jesus is good news. He's the saviour. And the only prerequisite to grace is to actually being humble enough to acknowledge that you and I we actually need it. 
You know, as a preacher, Christmas is a fun time. Because for a whole lot of us, maybe just on autopilot in our own life, maybe in church, maybe not in church, it provides us with a chance at the end of each year to pause and to stop and to be reminded of things that are really important. To be reminded again of what God has done. That we're not celebrating Christmas because it's a tradition. We're not celebrating Christmas because a baby was born. We're celebrating Christmas because God loved us so much and thought us so worthwhile that he stepped down out of heaven, came born of the virgin. God squeezed into skin. If you and I were to travel back 2,000 years in a time machine and to go and see Jesus lying there in a manger and to look at the baby and think, man, that's a cute kid, we'll be totally misunderstanding just how significant this moment is. This is God stepping into human history to, to prove once and for all I love you. I'm not outsourcing this to somebody else. I'm taking it personally. I'm going to come and be the substitute in your place to do what you can't do for yourself. That that is the kindness of God displayed in the Christmas story. And I wonder this morning if you're here, maybe you've been to church before, maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you came along to a carols event and I want to congratulate you. Anyone can come to church once, but you came to church twice right? But maybe you're here this morning. I want to ask you one question. I believe it's the most important question a person can ever be asked. I want to ask you this morning, are you right with God? I don't mean do you believe in God. I don't mean were you christened as a child. I don't mean do you pray sometimes. What I really mean is this. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you've stopped? And you've asked for God's forgiveness and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. We said it just a moment ago that, that actually the prerequisite to the grace of God is actually admitting, I need the grace of God. It's actually to humble yourself and say, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I know I've not worked this whole thing out. God, I need you to step into my life. And so maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've never Maybe you've never said yes to the love and grace of God. Maybe you've been to church before. But as you think about it, there's never been a moment in your life when you stopped and you asked for God's forgiveness and you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. We're going to take a moment right now to pray a prayer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that in that moment you shall be saved. The Bible says it's as simple as that. It's as simple as praying a prayer, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But to make this really simple, I'm going to pray the first part of this prayer. I'm going to get you to repeat it after me. In fact, I'm going to get the whole church to pray it along with you. And this morning as we do this, as we pray this prayer, believing it in our hearts, confessing it with our mouth, we're going to believe that's exactly what's going to happen in your life right now as well. Church, would you help us pray this morning with those who lifted their hands? Would you pray out loud? Pray, dear Jesus, dear Jesus I come to you this morning. I come to you this morning. And I realize, and I realize that, I need you. that I need you. Jesus, I ask you, Jesus, I ask you to, forgive me to forgive me of all of my mistakes. All my mistakes. Jesus, wash my heart, Jesus, wash my heart completely, clean. completely clean. Jesus, I thank you, Jesus, I thank you that you love me. 
that you proved it. That you proved it. When you died on the cross. When you died on the cross. For my sin. For my sin. Jesus, from this morning on. Jesus, from this morning on. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And change my life. And change my life. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together this morning for those who prayed that prayer? Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.